0: I think I don't. I don't do drip or money or fashion. I do arts.
1: Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number six seventy-two. I think of Locked On Raptors for Monday, March the second. I am your host, Sean Woodley. At RaptorsHQ.com, you can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at LockedOnRaptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast, and of course, please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We have team-focused shows covering just about every single team in the Big Four sports. If you like a team that plays the sports, we are uh, almost certain to have a show with a local daily perspective covering that team for you. So please make sure you're searching that out and subscribing to, rating, and reviewing all of the shows that you would like to support. On the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, all right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors lost two games over the weekend. Have now lost three straight to fall to 42 and 18 on the season. And joining me, as he tends to do on Mondays, it's our pal Vivek Jacob. What's going on, man?
2: Well, the watch, man. Ready to get this week started. Starting it off right, talking to you, talking Raptors, and obviously a bit of a struggle right now. But injuries are a big factor in that, so. Yeah, we gotta take uh, these hits and then hopefully just get healthy before the playoffs, man.
1: Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from the weekend in general is that this was the weekend where the sort of plucky underdog spirit of this team sort of persevering in the face of injuries, it's kind of not cute anymore and it's just like tiresome and I think the entire team is kind of over it and is ready to just have healthy players. I think Nick Nurse... You could kind of sense on Friday when the news came down that Norm was going to play in the game, and then also the news came down in the same sentence from the Raptors PR folks that Serge Ibaka and Fred VanVleet were going to miss the game, You could just it just seemed like it was a little bit deflating. And I think we've seen sort of a more ornery Kyle Lowry lately, I think we've seen a bit of a frustrated and sort of beleaguered Pascal Siakam at times, and I can only assume that a lot of that is due to the, just the, the constant wave of injuries that seems to keep hitting this team. Anytime good news comes, bad news follows. And I, I just, it, this season would not be the same. If there weren't injuries, and I don't think it would be quite as enjoyable and fun as and as unexpected as it's been had there been, you know, health all the way through, so much of the joy of this season has been sort of created out of those moments where you have, you know, Chris Boucher and Ronde Hollis Jefferson having to come in against the Lakers cold after injuries and p- performing well beyond expectations. There was the, the, go- the game against the Mavs where... It was Kyle Lowry and, like, a bunch of, you know, second and third stringers who were, you know, just kicking ass, playing incredibly hard, and winning that game, basically on will alone, plus Kyle Lowry going, like, some sort of ungodly percentage from the field, and so, like, I think, again, a lot of the fun of this season has been the fighting through injuries thing, but at this point, we're only 22 games now away from the postseason, a month and a half, it's getting to the point now where it's just like okay we get it this team is very fun and good when they are injured let's just get the guys back now and actually see what this team looks like all together because like there's not so much we can learn anymore from this ragtag crew doing you know fun things on on night-to-night basis and i think at this point guys are just getting tired and worn down and they're spreading themselves a little bit too thin do you kind of get that sense too that it's just like all right enough with this injury garbage
2: Yeah, totally, and I think in particular you can probably feel that way the most about Pascal Siakam because of um, the criticism that's now coming his way, and I think you look back at last season as well, he and Danny Green were the two guys that were consistently in the lineup that were there throughout the regular season, played through the playoffs, Uh, obviously Siakam had an injury this season, but I think... The number of times he's been expected to carry this team when the offense quite frankly is set up to be pretty democratic i think uh you're looking at now a situation where people are having unrealistic expectations and it's because of all the winning that they've done uh in spite of the injuries and you know i remember coming into the season saying hey okay i think you know i would expect them uh, you know, it, it, without trades or whatever it is to to finish with the three seed, have an outside shot at the two seed. Uh, but at the same time, you know, with Marcus' contract situation, with Serge Ibaka's contract situation, uh, that I wouldn't be surprised if a trade was made, and then they finished up, you know, with sort of less than 50 wins, still a playoff team, still a good team, and you almost wonder if these expectations would still be there if they were around that around what people expected before the season and so uh yeah i i I feel for siakam right now and um i'm I'm sure he doesn't care um i think he's someone to take it all in spirit and i think that's the big picture that we're all that some people are missing out on right now um and you know if you look at his rookie season gets sent down to the g league takes some time to figure it out and then comes back a, a better player you look at 25 straight threes that he missed uh, when he was part of the bench mob and you know that was literally an entire month where he didn't make a three and everyone's like hey you need to stop shooting threes you can't shoot threes <laughs> and that's, that's, that's why he's become the player he is now right like he's willing to go through it he's willing to deal with it he'll take all the criticism that comes and he has that confidence that he will figure it out eventually like it, again he's someone that's played basketball for what eight nine years now so um this is something that he's experiencing for the first time being the focal point of an offense and being that focal point night in and night out uh is a lot different than sort of the 20 games that he had to do it for last season and so i think uh he's going to be a better player for it and you almost look at it as when after sort of when someone goes through a sophomore slump Right, and it's like, how do they come back and how do they adjust to the adjustments? And so, in terms of assessing Siakam, in terms of whether he can be a, a real number one option against elite teams, I think you have to almost wait for next season because you have to wait for him to take in all the information that he's gathering right now and see how he responds to it next season. So, yeah, I think people just need to cool it with Siakam right now and just it, like I, I understand sure criticize you know the things he's doing in the moment but to sort of rule him out as no why why are they doing this he's not that type of player that uh, this is the only way he's gonna learn
0: the NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every Monday Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the NBA playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. So I've been like, I think a lot of us have had our sort of expectations changed a little bit, right? And sort of the baseline belief of what Siakam could be coming into the year I think was a lot lower than he sort of showed flashes of in the early part of the season and you know that that's that was a really great stretch but I also think if you were looking at the season and not expecting some sort of growing pains from him you were kind of naive and kind of missing exactly what the season was going to be about for the Raptors and Nick Nurse said a couple weeks ago that they were really going to start coming out of the All-Star break, tr- start trying to funnel things through Siakam more, make him more of the primary guy, just to see what he can do with it. And, and this isn't to say that they'll run the offense through Siakam heavily now and then continue that in the playoffs. I think they kind of know the other places they can go in the postseason, whether it's you know Kyle initiating things in pick and roll, whether it's Gasol running things from the elbow, assuming, assuming that he's healthy, whether it's Fred as a secondary ball handler. Like They know other ways they can butter their bread. But... If you're looking at sort of trying to maximize your upside, Pascal Siakam is the way to do that. He is the the pathway to having something close to what you had last year in Kawhi, where it's just like an automatic bucket against ba- against good defenses when things and the chips are down. Like the, the, Pascal is the guy. If anyone on the team is going to become that guy, he is the one. And, and so you have to, I think, right now sort of deviate a little bit and go away from sort of the things that typically make you successful just in the interest of getting him reps. And it was always going to come with growing pains. It was always going to come with him sort of trying to find the balance between aggression and passiveness and when to, you know, settle for the three and when to not. And, you know, I think he's going through now a little bit of what DeMar did in the time before he really became like a guy who got to the line a ton. He would have his frustrations as well when he wasn't getting calls and before that reputation was built. And I think that's a big part of the struggles for Siakam right now too is he seems to be getting to the right places to try to get, you know, easy trips to the line and things like that, but he's just not quite caught up reputation-wise or he hasn't quite mastered the art of getting fouled. And that's also part of this process, right? It's all part of the sort of testing ground that this season is supposed to be. And that was always yep. the plan coming into the year. That was always what the season was about. It. It's you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a damning thing if this season proves that Pascal Siakam is not a number one option on a championship team. That's fine. He's already proven he can be like a number two, and that is a really good place to be and a really good player to have. And this season is about seeing exactly where his limits are. And maybe we won't find out what his limits are this season. Maybe we see, you know, what he does this year. Like you said, he sort of takes all that information in. He learns from it. He applies what he learned in his off off-season, offseason training regimen. And then next season, we see sort of what his limits can be. And so you have this sort of two-year runway before that big summer where you're trying to do some big things to know exactly what it is that you need to pair with Pascal Siakam for the future. And so it's... It's all part of the process, man, and I think the Raptors winning a bazillion games and being in the running for the two-seed, it's kind of, I think, clouded what the real purpose of this season was, which was testing ground for Siakam and OG to see what you have there, and also just sort of like a noble running it back with all the old guys trying to defend their title in the most noble way possible, and all of those things have been accomplished at this point, point. and I made the point last night, and maybe this is a little bit hyperbolic, but I think it's kind of important considering Raptors fans tend to uh get really aggrieved very quickly (laughs) whenever things go poorly like the raptors are 42 and 18 right now in theory they could this is what i said and again maybe it's a little bit over the top but they could lose out and go finish 42 and 40 and get swept in the first round and i still think this season would have served its purpose and would have been a net positive in general and you have the 15 game winning streak in there you have a lot of really fun awesome individual moments and this season was likely never to end in a title anyway. So if that happens, yes, it would be obviously terrible. They're also they're also not obviously going to lose twenty two straight games. Like let's not get crazy. Let's not you know be so literal when you're you know picking apart my point. But I think the point stands is that this season has served its purpose. And especially as it comes to Pascal, and even more so lately as they've ramped up his usage. And again, I, I think once guys get back, it'll be a lot easier for him, and he'll be able to a sort of fall back into. I don't want to say, like, a secondary role, but he'll be able to pick his spots a little bit more selectively, which is always a good thing, and you'd never want to have to force things to make a defense know exactly what's coming. And I also think, like, his role, when they do sort of throw it to him and say, all right, Pascal, you're still number one, go do the things, it's going to be a lot easier when he does. he's not kicking out. Like, there was a play in the game on Sunday where he drove and kicked out, and it created a wide-open three. It just happened to be a wide-open three for Chris Boucher because on the one side of the floor, it was Patrick McCaw on the left wing and Chris Boucher wide open in the left corner with, I think, Davis and Powell uh, you know dotted around. And, like, obviously the Nuggets were keyed up on Davis and Powell, and they were okay with McCaw and Boucher getting wide-open looks. And it's going to be so much easier when... It's Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul in those spots spacing the floor for him. So it's all going to feed into, I think, Pascal kind of settling into this at some point here. It's just, you know, the, it's a growing pain period right now. They don't have any large people on the floor. He's getting tasked with, you know, p- battling centers on the glass and defending centers a little bit here as Ronda Ellis Jefferson's been a little bit hit and miss over the last couple games. And it's all kind of understandable, I think, that he's putting up these wobbly shooting lines. And still, the, the flashes are so promising when you see them I mean there was a stretch in that Charlotte game where he was just like destroying the Hornets by just being direct and forceful and brutish as the way he was driving to the rim and that's still there, like he still has that in his bag, I just think with all the other responsibilities and all the other sort of things on his plate right now as they're trying to amp up his responsibilities, it's become a bit of a struggle, and I think that'll alleviate eventually, if they ever get guys back and healthy, which maybe they won't, and we, we should stop talking in those terms because it seems like maybe we're just in a perpetual wheel of injuries taking place and then happening again once those other injuries are healed, um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's probably going to be okay. He's a very, very good player. <laughs> like, I don't know. Do you have any yeah. last thoughts on Pascal before we move on?
2: Um, I, I guess the final thing I'll sort of tack on is just that we, I, I think in general, maybe because of the way the NBA is, uh, it's almost built into our subconscious that, you know, if you're a tanking team, then it's okay. Then you have to be patient. Then you have to, you know, let all these guys uh, – learn how to win and learn how to make winning plays and all that but all of a sudden if you have a winning team it's like, no, you you have to have your number one guy, you have to have your number two guy and, and and the team around it and they're all supposed to play this way but the Raptors just are able to afford the luxury of both they're able to win and they're able to try and figure it out at the same time that's what's been so beautiful uh, about the way they've been able to succeed these last few years, right? You look at uh, Norman Bowell going down to the G League, coming back and being an impactful player in the playoffs. You look at Fred VanVleet, the lessons that he's taking. You look at Pascal Siakam. That's just been a part of how they've succeeded. And so, again, they're probably going to keep winning um, for some time. And then they're going to have players that sort of go through these development stretches while they're on the court. Guess what? You're not going to send Siakam down to the G League to figure out stuff again. He's going to go through <laughs> it. He's going to go through it at the NBA level. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's going to suck sometimes to see him go through it, but that's how he's going to get better.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, one other note, too. Like Again, I've said this all season long. This was the Hakuna Matata season and remains so. So, first of all, like even if things go poorly and Pascal flames out in the playoffs in spectacular fashion, just go and... Cuddle yourself up in your, you know, your championship merch, number one. And number, and number two, like, the other thing about Pascal is that I think maybe there's, like, the, just, like, the burgeoning compulsion to compare him to DeMar DeRozan a little bit in terms of, like, the wonky shooting lines, but that comparison will never fly, Because he's also just like a remarkable defender who's been kicking ass at that end lately. And even in his bad offensive games, he's doing crazy, crazy things like, you know, picking off Nikola Jokic, (laughs) like, outlet passes. And he's, uh, you know, like, great rim protection and things like that. Like, he, he still offers so much at that end. As much, same as, he's kind of like a microcosm of this team, right? Where... Yes, the offense can be a little bit up and down at times, and the half-court offense can be a struggle, but you know there's a floor on defense that's incredibly high and will keep them in it, and that's the Pascal story, right? Like, yeah, his offense will fluctuate, but his defensive contributions are so notable, and they have been, I think especially lately, that he's always going to come out positive in the wash, just because of what he does on that end, and then, you know, when he has his great offensive nights, he becomes an absolute, just freaking terror in a mar- marvel to watch, so... I think we can probably leave the Pascal talk there for now, and, you know, clearly we're not sounding too many alarms, and hopefully we can calm some people down with this conversation.
0: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Um, Some other stuff from the weekend. I mean, the main thing we should probably get into is OG Ananobi, who had 13 steals over two games on the weekend. I thought he was the best player on the floor against the Hornets on Friday, and kind of, it went a little bit unspoken, I think, just because Kyle Lowry had that fourth quarter where he almost brought them back into it, and the team in general was kind of bad, and I think that was mostly the conversation afterwards, was just how poorly the Raptors had played, as opposed to um, the the great things that OG Ananobi was doing, and then he followed it up, and like, doubled how awesome his performance was, quite literally on the points perf- point side of things, but just in general against the Nuggets on Sunday I mean we've always known he's a very good defender that's never been a question it's sort of been I guess like the stat accrual on on defense that's maybe been something he hasn't quite had whether it's blocks or steals like it's usually just like very good anecdotal defense you look at him and it's like oh man he locked that guy up in one-on-one coverage he seems to be adding all that other stuff now where he's more of a terror, he's more of a menace, he's like breaking up pick and rolls, he's jumping passing lanes, and he's kind of doing those of above and beyond things as opposed to just good team defense that are really swinging things. I don't know. Is it too early to say this is like him turning a corner a little bit here? Or, is, I mean, we we saw him play very well early in the season, too, and then a bit of a doldrum in the middle. So maybe it's not fair to say he's turned a corner. But I don't know. What, what have your thoughts been on the recent run from OG Ananobi, who just looks dynamite right now?
2: I think the most encouraging thing is the fact that, let's face it, there, before when, when there were stretches with the injuries where you were saying, hey, man, really need something from OG uh, in terms of the offense and uh, getting himself going and helping the team out with that and so you've seen that here and that is something that if he can carry over and do it the way he's been doing it with the efficiency um, because he's able to get up in transition off these steals uh, then that's ideal but Uh, I I think it definitely needs to be more of a sustained stretch. It doesn't need to be as crazy uh, as it was uh, against the Nuggets, where he finishes with 32 points on 16 shots, but I I think defensively, I think we all know what he can do Um, one-on-one. You can match him up against anyone in the league, pretty much. The fact that he can go up uh, against Jokic and be as impactful as he was, I, I think, was super encouraging. Um... I think when you look at what he can maybe, what he's maybe figuring out uh, from a team concept is sort of being a step ahead of the play and understanding where he can dig in and where he can maybe uh, cheat a little bit and get get those deflections. And I think that will take him to another level uh, in terms of complementing his on the ball defense. And so offensively, I think, yeah, there's still strides to be made. Um, The consistency with the three-point shot we'll see over time, Uh, but yeah, in terms of his handle, in terms of uh, one-on-one moves, we're seeing a bit more of him recognizing when he's got a smaller guy on him, when he's got a weaker guy on him, and just uh, sort of going right at them and uh, using his body to create separation and finish at the rim. So those are the big things that you want to see more consistently. And, uh, yeah, again, hopefully guys like Mark can help open things up. Having Norm in the lineup probably helps uh, as well. So, um, yeah, hopefully you can keep this going because it's been pretty damn exciting to watch.
1: Yeah, man, he's, uh, he's a freaking terror, <laughs> and it's in the best kind of way. And I- I'm almost wondering if maybe the answer I, I'm not sure when Serge Ibaka is going to be back. I hope it's sooner than later, obviously. But I'm almost wondering if the answer to their issues right now with a lack of bigs is just Play OG as the center. The way he's rebounded, I mean, he had a couple rebounds like over Jokic last night in crunch time that were just like, "Holy shit. <laughs> like that is not easy." And he's just so damn strong. He's taken advantage I think of his strength a couple times. He had a couple great post-ups last night, like one very heinous crime against Jamal Murray I think in particular with a nice like Pascal looking drop step and you know he just seems to have sort of the, the thickness and the strength to hang and bang with those guys down low I think he had nine boards in the game against the Hornets on Friday as well and he was really the only guy who was able to sort of overcome Bismack Biombo, who man I really wish that they would have bought out that day and left in Toronto <laughs> would have been lovely not going to happen yeah. but like, just throwing OG sort of in that dunker spot where he seems to be very comfortable, have him be a screener because he is a very good, strong screener, I think, think as well, and has shown some nice things on the short roll of this season, too. If you're not happy with what is doing, maybe you just go with, like, a, 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 a Lowry-Powell-Davis or when Fred VanVleet's back, you throw Fred in there as well with Pascal at the 4 and then OG at the 5 and maybe roll with that because he's kind of shown more, I think, acumen at dealing with that spot than anyone else on the team has. He's just he's such a bruiser, man, and he's very clearly one of the strongest players on the floor, if not the strongest player on the floor, anytime he's playing. Um, so that's kind of my thought there. He's, he's really, really good, and, and what he did against Jokic was really impressive. I know Jokic had his game, and he kicked ass, but uh, I think OG gave him a lot of problems, and you know, there's only so much you can do <laughs> when you don't have a center against Jokic, right? They had, I think Will Liu posted the screen cap. They really had like five guys around Jokic, and it's just like he's such a good passer that even when you do do that, you're just opening up all kinds of pain elsewhere. And it was a yeah. really, really tough matchup to go out with no center. I thought OG gave them the best shot, which is all you could ask for, I suppose. Um, and on, on the offensive side, too, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff he does – He's pretty good at, it and it's pretty refined. I mean, the off-the-bounce stuff is a little bit quirky at times, and he takes some time to make his reads, but if you give him to him in the post, like, he's strong enough. He's, like, whenever he's around the basket, he seems able to finish, whether it's under the basket when he's, you know, getting offensive rebounds and things like that, or he's cutting. Like, he's always seemed able to rise rise up in that little sort of pocket of space that he can find, and, you know, whether it's, like, the chin-up reverse dunks or anything like that. Like, he seems pretty good there and his three-point shot is as average and or slightly above average as it's always been. So I don't want to say that he's like making a leap to like some sort of like Pascal leap or anything like that. But it is nice to see him playing with confidence. It seems like he's more part of the offense and we'll see if that holds up once more guys come back because I think Nurse has kind of pointed that out this season, is that he's kind of ended up being the forgotten guy at times on offense when they do have all their pieces healthy, and that I think leads him to get a little bit passive, a little bit sort of more pressing when the ball does come to him. And so we'll see how that translates with a full lineup. But for now, it's been a delight to watch. He's so, so exciting when he pulls off things like he did last night. And I was just like just in awe watching him last night. Every single possession, he was doing something to help blow it up, and you couldn't take your eyes off of him. And to me, it was one of the more impressive single games I've ever seen from a Raptor. I mean, 32 with seven seals and seven boards, like, that's that's pretty nuts. On the 12 of 16 shooting as well, I was just as upset to see the Raptors lose that game as I was when, like, Terrence Ross put up 51. Like, that's how impressive it was to me. And I'm not sure I could go back and, like, name too many more impressive individual performance from like a non-star raptor it was uh pretty wild stuff and hopefully we see more of that going forward here because that og changes things changes the, the sort of the calculus for the raptors too and it changes what you need from pascal it changes what you need from everybody when he's chipping in that much especially on the defensive end so uh gotta love to see it og and obi kicks ass um
2: yeah defensively yeah no, I was just going to say defensively, that's probably the, the most Kawhi-like he's looked, right? In yeah. terms of just, like, stealing candy from the baby, just batting the ball out every time. Um, and Josh Lewenberg had that tweet that, you know, there's, there's only, what, seven guys who, who have done it over the last uh, 30, 30 years. John Wall, Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Kevin Garnett. Um, don't know who Chris Morris and Hersey Hawkins are. Um, but Hakeem Olajuwon, and then of course Michael Jordan did it four times <laughs> which is just insane um, but yeah the, in terms of an individual game performance, is definitely one of the most special things we've seen from a Raptor uh, probably one that we'll remember for quite a while, sucks that uh, it'll be less remembered because it came in a loss, but um, yeah pretty special performance, pretty Uh, exciting tease of what he's capable of at his best. And obviously there's still a long way to go in his development. So long may it continue.
1: Hey man, I've done the Lord's work in ensuring that there's never any Terry 51 erasure, despite that being a loss. I feel like we can do that for the OG 32 and seven game as well. So uh, just follow my lead, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Any parting shots, big V before we wrap up here on the weekend games, Uh, like, We can take things from them, I suppose, but it's also so many grains of salt, and just the injury thing keeps hanging over everything.
2: Hey, man, like, you you know I'd love to see it one day. It's not going to happen, but 58-game schedule, man, 58-game schedule.
1: (laughs) Well, in a 58-game schedule, they would be now two games into the playoffs with all of these guys injured. Think about that well
2: no, no no you just spread it out man. you just spread it out
1: yeah and you don't have all these injuries. i know what you mean i know i'm just <laughs> as a person who likes 82 games i'm just playing the other side of things um i think we can probably leave it there this was a lot of fun man thank you so much for uh jumping on for our usual monday chat do you have anything you're working on that people should check out
0: I'm doing
2: a couple of previews this week for Raptors Republic. I am going to dive into Siakam's finishing at the rim. That is one thing that uh, I think. Just watching the last few games, I'm like, hmm. Uh, and I, I remember last season his finishing being so great at the rim that I was like, hmm. I don't know if that. I don't know that this is sustainable. So uh, yeah, I just want to look at kind of some film and see what's going on there uh if there's any major differences between last season and this season so i'll probably have something up on that and yeah that's pretty much all you can look forward to from me this week i'm sure there are much bigger things coming from you sean mr raptors <laughs> feature writer
1: yeah i got some fun stuff coming uh a couple of pieces probably dropping over the course of the next week as i get my month started as the raptors.com writer of the month so please uh Download the app. I Think that you can get push notifications whenever things come down. So you get the Raptors app, and I guess you'll also get Popeye's deals in there too when the when the moment calls for it, if they still do that. Do they still do that? They should probably know that. Anyway. Um No, they don't. They don't. Oh, very disappointing. I guess twelve threes is such a uh twelve threes is so easy when you have Matt Thomas on your team that. Um talk about a catch twenty two for Alex Wong. <laughs> Well, they have the McDonald's fries. Oh, uh, so, okay. Well, that's, that's fine, I suppose. Um, but yeah, get the Raptors app and you'll get all of my pieces there uh, under like the fans tab and the feature editorials, I think, is the, the place you want to go for all that. And you can go read all the work from the other great writers, the much better writers than I, who have already written for Raptors.com this month, so check, uh, or this year. So go check those out. Katie Heindel wrote some amazing stuff last month, as uh, you might expect. Um And yeah, so that's going to do it. You can subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Tell a friend. If you have a Raptors fan friend who doesn't listen to podcasts, suggest this podcast to them. I would very much appreciate it. We're always looking for new listeners. And uh, as much as we appreciate the existing ones, never a harm to uh, bring more people under the Locked on Raptors umbrella. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors.